As I mentioned um, last week, I have the tremendous privilege of having to wear reading glasses now. <laughs> I haven't had that problem before. <laughs> All right. I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts. We are doing our study in the book of Acts, and we've been going through. And I want to draw your attention today to Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 36. I started, as you know, dealing with Pentecost, and Cheryl has the young kids. We have daycare, not children's church today, but daycare. So if you have young children, you want to have them go to the modular, uh, Cheryl will be out there with the very young children. Acts 2, beginning at verse 22. As you know, we've been dealing with uh, the start of the church, the Pentecost, how it came to be, and looked initially at the seven feasts in, or the, the feasts that are listed in Leviticus 23. And Pentecost was to begin once the children of Israel entered the promised land. That's when they were to begin to observe Pentecost. Pente means 50. So we've gone through some history, and the Lord chose to allow, to, to send the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after Christ rose from the dead. And so we are going through the passages and the, and the series that we are doing. I've titled, if you recall, Preparing to Do the Work I Was Called to Do. Today I'm going to be reading from the NIV, the new NIV, Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 22. And it may read a little bit different than what's up on the board in the King James, King James Version. But it says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Verse 24. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it, and exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. 
For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemy the footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Quickly just look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20. I'm going to read part of 19b, Ephesians 1, 19b through 20. That power is the same as the mighty strength. Excuse me. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Bow your head. Lord, we thank you today for the precious word of God. We love you, and we pray that you will anoint the vessel. We give honor and glory to your name. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to address primarily one point. I'm going to just mention, even though several points, but one point I'm going to primarily deal with, the evidence that points to Jesus Christ is when I'm listing that as the evidence that points to Jesus Christ. In verse 22, we identify the people that Paul primarily is addressing as he calls them fellow Israelites. As we have noted, a large crowd is in Jerusalem for the Pentecost feast. As we have noted, there is a large crowd in Jerusalem for the feast of Pentecost. On this day, the Holy Spirit came and filled the disciples and the individuals that were in the upper room. Now we have the first sermon being preached by Peter with incredible boldness. Uh, and he places his life in jeopardy. This is the first historic sermon after Christ has returned to heaven and on the very day that the Holy Spirit came. So we have the coming of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost and a tremendous sermon by Peter being preached. And one of the first things that Peter does in his preaching is to point to the miracles that Jesus Christ did. I've told you once before that miracles in and by themselves don't save people. Miracles alone don't save people. Today there are people who say, if I can only see a miracle, I'll believe. That's the very same thing that the religious leaders kept saying to Jesus. Show us a sign, and he had done it been doing it all along. There is a fallacy that many people have that if they see a certain move of God, then their hearts will be changed and they'll begin to honor and serve God. You cannot, you cannot have faith in God unless the Word of God is preached. The words are a testimony of what Jesus Christ or God is doing. It is a confirmation that God's approval is on the life of this person. 
The primary purpose of a miracle is to say that God has approved this person and that this person is telling the truth. When God performed miracles through the Lord Jesus Christ, it was confirmation that the Lord, that God was working and that the Lord had chosen him. God's working of miracles were for, I told you from Petaluma, for a couple of reasons. One, it was to have the people honor and to glorify God. It was always to point people back to Jesus Christ. Anytime a person tells you that I have the power to heal and you should place your faith and trust in me, they're lying. They're lying. The purpose of miracles is to show God's approval on the life of that person, and it is always to point them to the Almighty. There are people who run after faith healers. There are people who will run after a certain personality. There are people who are enthralled by individuals because of their oratorical skills. And if they say something controversial, we'll just put it to the side and say, oh, oh, they must be true because such and such a person said it. The primary reason that we want to make sure that we're in the Word of God and when we hear people is to make sure that whatever people say lines up with Scripture. Today, many people try to claim God's anointing in their lives and they're living in sin. They try to say that God's anointing is on me and sin is in their lives. God does not bless sin. He came to save from sin and to save you out from your sin, to save you from your sins, to turn your faith to him. God did not call you to come and sit in your sins and to stay there. Jesus was constantly running into battles, into problems with the religious leaders because he didn't come just as they thought he should come. God came preaching against sin. The miracles that he performed, the, God, the miracles that God performed through Jesus, they were vast, they were unparalleled, and they were undeniable. The mention of the miracles was a confirmation that Jesus was sent by God, and that could not be denied. And so Peter points to the miracles of Jesus as a testimony and as evidence that this man is from God. It would be incredible to know how many of the people that were there in that crowd had once been touched by him. I'm just using my imagination. You know that it was said that if all the books, and John had said this at the end of his gospel, I believe that if all the miracles could be recorded, that he supposed that all the books in the world could not contain. In other words, Jesus did so many miracles. And, and, and just using my imagination, I just can imagine that that crowd that is listening to Peter that day, as he begins to talk about the miracles of the Lord, there had to be some, I would think, in that crowd that had been touched by the Lord. Some in that crowd that had been healed. I wonder the woman who had the issue of blood, if she might have been 
part of that crowd. I wonder if the leper that Jesus healed had been there. I just, I just wonder how many were there that the religious leaders could turn around and say, well, here's one of them right there. <laughs> when Peter began to talk about the miracles of the Lord, and Peter makes an interesting note. He states and says that you yourselves well know. You know about the miracles. You know, it's the word of God that brings conviction. You know that, right? It's the word of God that moves in the lives of people that brings about the conviction. And the conviction is always to be a change of heart and character. When Christ comes to indwell a person, he never leaves them the same. The lives that he touched were also for the fact of showing God's compassion and his love for people. It was to deal with human suffering. It shows that compassionate side of the Lord. That he cared about people and so he would touch them. You'll find oftentimes when Jesus would minister, he would touch people. While the religious leaders didn't want to be touched, Jesus would be touched. Think about the woman again of blood who, who made her way through the crowd, crowd cooking. She wasn't supposed to be there. But when you want to see Jesus, you will go through all kinds of obstacles because you've got to touch Jesus for yourself. Can't rely on just anybody. You've got to reach him and touch him for yourself. Today, many people are trying to hold on, hold on and drag on to the coast of the parents and grandparents. And my parent built that church. And, and I 40 years ago, and you ain't been there since. And trying to claim that somehow, because of, of history and longevity, you should automatically have some special recognition. You've got to see Jesus and touch him for yourself. It's not about somebody else touching him for you. Oh, it's good to have intercessors, but you've got to come to the Lord for yourself. And Peter is making an appeal to this group that says, you yourself individually know what God did. This man was acclaimed, credited by the miracles that he's done. This points to him that sin, this man is authentic. Peter also notes there is a plurality of miracles. Miracles, wonders, and signs. Oftentimes these are used interchangeably. But he says it wasn't just one. It was vast. It was many. So he could point and say there were miracles, wonders, and signs that he did. He didn't do them in some remote, isolated place. Where people tell you who say that you can send me your money but don't investigate me. Jesus, Peter says that it was done right in the public, right in Jerusalem, amongst you. You didn't have to go searching over yonder. You could experience it right here. Some of us can't even get to church and, and we sometimes feel like, you know, I can't talk to the Lord. Yes, you can, right in your house. But don't stay there. <laughs> forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is some people think somehow 
that they can stay home and be okay. I, I need to let you know, I need to let you know that, that, that one of the tricks of the enemy is that when God doesn't work, it's to say, you know what? You can spend time all by yourself with the Lord and be okay. I got people today who tell me who are healthy and well and can do it. I just spend, it's just me and the, and, and the TV. On Sunday mornings, I don't need to go to church. Then call them when you get sick. Call them when you run into difficulty. Call them when your finances run low. Call them when a loved one gets sick. They will tell you, sorry, our offices are closed today. Call back at another time. And you need to get through then. Jesus was often in trouble, if you can really say that, with the religious leaders because he often healed on the Sabbath. He often did things in ways that was contrary to what people thought he should be doing. That's not the way we do it. That's not the way we do it here. That, that's not the way it's been done over there. Our family doesn't do it that way. Jesus was always in confrontation. You know what? Let me just say this. It didn't make a difference what Jesus did. They still would have been upset with him. The fact that he was perfect proved that. <laughs> hmm. Perfect person. He's just so perfect. The guards paid, were paid money to say that the disciples came and stole the Bible, his body. The history and the life of Christianity is one of evidence. Most religions want to hide and to obscure what the truth is. And only a certain few at the intellectual level or way up in the escalons can have this knowledge. But when you look at God's word, it allows you to test and see if what was said is true. If there is a ministry, if there is a group, if there is a person, if there are individuals who are who's trying to say that the truth resides only with this small group, be careful. Don't ask questions. Things that comes to mind that you have questions about, just accept blindly. Be careful. The Bible tells us that we are to test the word. We are to... Test the fruit. There is a group of people today who says, don't judge me. Don't judge me. My heart is right. My, my heart is just in it. I feel it in my heart. Don't judge. The Bible says you know him by the fruit. And as my dad would say, he's a fruit inspector. I'm just, ins I'm just inspecting the fruit. <laughs> Christians are to judge. Did you know that? 
When you think, Cleaver, I need you, I, I, I appreciate it, but I need you just to hold back a little bit. All right. I'm about to tell you, though. <laughs> In Matthew 18, 15, the Bible talks about if a brother or sister sins against you, the Bible says you go to them and show them their fault. I'm just kind of moving away from Pastor just for, for a moment here. Go and show them their fault just between the two of you. But, Tisha, I got a problem with you. I got to. I'm just using you as an example, right? You know. Letitia, <laughs> you're going to be on the, on the Internet, too, your name. I'm going to make sure that your name is on the Internet, okay? I'm messing with you. <laughs> Go to that person, just the two of you, and speak to them. You've offended me. Something happened now. It was, I was bothered. The Bible says that that person listened to you. Good, you won your brother or sister over. That's good. But if they don't listen, the Bible says, take one or two others along as witnesses so that the testimony of two or three can be established. In other words, you're, what is the purpose you're trying to do? You're trying to restore a relationship. But you're making a judgment. They're making a judgment. This person has been hurt, and this, this is the way that we're going about it to try to restore. I've been done wrong. And the Bible then says, if that person refuses to listen to you, and then even those two or three, the Bible says, tell it to the church. If they repent, that's good. But if they don't, treat them like a tax collector or a publican. Treat them like a sinner. Many churches today don't do that. They'll just let things go and go. There is a judgment that God has given the body of Christ to judge righteously. To judge in a way that is for the purpose of restoration and restoring relationships. And Jesus was always in the business and when he touched lives of restoring people and relationships. But those who did not want to hear the Lord, he was always in battle and constant conflict with them. He gave him the Lord and he was hard on them. Some people got this idea, Jesus was just this wonderful little person. Jesus was tough. He was a carpenter. This man out there cutting down trees. Go ahead and mess with Jesus if you want. He had to use no supernatural power. Jesus was tough. He was tough. <laughs> but Jesus was in the business of restoring. He had a gentle side, but he also had another side. On the side of goodness is also a side of judgment. And Jesus is going back, and Jesus is working. He was always in the business of touching lies. When Peter is dealing with the miracles of Christ, it is a side of compassion. It is a side of showing what God is doing. Now, when Jesus rose from the dead, the guards were paid off, and they were told, tell the people that the disciples came and stole the body. One of the things when Peter is, is, is writing here, he is letting them know, now, wait a minute. His grave, David's grave is here. But Christ's grave, the one that, that you said died and didn't rise and the disciples came and got him? No, because the soldiers would have killed him. That tomb is empty. He's talking to these people and he's showing evidence that even the resurrection of Christ, with the resurrection of Christ, is further proof and evidence 
that the Lord is who he says he is. Now, Peter spends a good amount of time referencing David as David was a key figure in the Jewish culture and was known, and it was known that the Messiah was to come through his line. David is speaking as a prophet. In verse number 25, David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. When you look at the book of Psalms, Psalms that David, many of the Psalms that David write are prophetic. Many are prophetic. Many point to Jesus. If you look at Psalm 110, many of the things, and what Paul and what Peter does, he points the leaders as part of the evidence back to the Old Testament to show that the fulfillment of what is happening here. It's taking place in Christ. Now, he did it with Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32 that we, met, we mentioned last time. Peter is referencing the Old Testament scriptures to say that what is happening here is a result of what was already prophesied a thousand years before. He, 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 is, he is mentioning David because David as a patriarch was valued and highly respected. And they knew that the Messiah was to come through the line of David. And so what Peter does in this magnificent way is he brings David to bear witness that it is the Christ and not himself that he's referring to. I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. It was sound like David talking about himself, but it's going. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest in hope. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. Who was not abandoned to the realm of the dead? But Jesus Christ. So David could not have been referring to himself. He was prophetically talking about Jesus Christ. Your body will not see decay. Ah. You have made known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence. God is talking to God. Look at what God does. Do you know? God is so incredible. That, that God takes things that people mean for evil and for wrong. And turns it into his glory and for good. That's how good God and big God is. You see, God's plans were already orchestrated and ordained before the beginning of time. And it really makes no difference what you try to do to thwart God's plan. You can't. He'll take what you do and still turn it right into his good, for his good, for his glory, and your good. That's the God. He says, fellow Israelites, I tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried. And he then says, and uh, his tomb is still here to this day. You can go look and see David's tomb. Peter, in his preaching, gave more time to the passages of the Old Testament as he goes through this short section here than even the miracles, even the resurrection. He spent more time in that short phrase dealing with passages from the book of Psalms. Because remember, they didn't have the New Testament. They had the Old. But he, he uses this to show that it was Jesus, whom all the scriptures were referring to, and David 
in his prophetic role was speaking about Christ. You cannot have the New Testament without the Old. Can't have it. I hear people today, just, I don't like reading the Old Testament. I just want to just read the New. You can't. The New talks about the Old. Christ even talks about the Old Testament. Because he's the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Christ cannot deny himself. Let me quickly move on. But look at what it says in 30. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on the throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and what you hear. David was never exalted to the right hand of God, but Jesus was. Verse 34, David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord God said to the Lord Jesus to sit at his right hand. Jesus' enemies were made a footstool. All of their planning and scheming to get rid of him actually accomplished God's marvelous plan. And David spoke about it, as I said, back in the Old Testament. You cannot tell me that God's unfolding plan for your life cannot be accomplished. I don't care what you are going through. I don't care how many demons or imps come after you. If God has a plan for your life, there's not enough demons in hell to keep it from being done. And yet, we sometimes falter and fail, but God's will will be accomplished in your life. Some of us get so bothered when sinners are set, setting snares for us, setting traps as if God can't deliver. God allows you to get to the lowest rung on the ladder and will say, I'll raise you back up. And then expose your enemies for the evil that they've done against you. That's the God that we serve. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and the Messiah. God took the crucified Jesus and made him Lord and Messiah. He took their evil schemes and plans, all the traps they tried to set for him, and still brought about his ultimate glory. What they meant for evil, God sat back and looked and just laughed at the plans of man. Think about it. He was crucified, and he was made the Savior. There are some things in our lives that need to die. Yes. 
our plans, our own self-interest. We need to understand that God is able to resurrect in our lives what will ultimately bring Him glory. God is wanting to kill off in your lives those things that don't bring honor and glory to His name. God is not exalting, nor is He raising up sin. Sin was put to death, but death could not hold Jesus in the ground. It is Christ that was exalted. Sin was paid for and atoned for. Christ was raised in victory. And we possess the glory of God because of what He done, has done through Jesus Christ. Peter said, what you see here today being poured out is because of Jesus Christ, whom you crucified. The Holy Spirit is pointing to Jesus. This outpouring all points to the Lord Jesus Christ. When the Lord left this earth 40 days after His resurrection... He said, you stay in Jerusalem. Don't you go any place. You stay in Jerusalem. Why? Because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He had already told them, I'm going to send the Comforter. You stay right there. And it was right in the midst of danger. Remember, the disciples had just been in hiding. They had been afraid. They had run. They had left. And he told them, you go right back there from Galilee to Jerusalem and you stay there until I come and bring and send the Holy Spirit. When you look at the coming of the Holy Spirit, 50 days after his resurrection on the day of Pentecost, one of the seven feasts that we mentioned, it was a way of showing, as the Lord told them on when they entered the promised land, that once you enter the promised land, as he gave this even to them in Mount at the desert, when you enter the promised land, then you are to observe the, this feast. When they were bring, to bring the, 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 the first fruits, think about the first fruits. When they entered the land, Christ raised on the day of first fruits. And he was that offering. Which basically said when they were presenting the first fruits, it was an offering to the Lord that says, God, you have blessed us in this land. You have given us everything. And we now offer to you as our first fruit the produce of the land. And God took that and blessed the entire crop and everything that they had. When Christ raised, was raised from the dead, he came as the first fruit to say, I am the one that will make atonement for everybody. I'm the one that's going to be going back to glory. No more is there any sacrifice. He is the first fruit. He rose on that day. And then 50 days later, on the day of Pentecost, that festival. And we went through it. I ain't got time to go through all the history again with that. But you will recall that when he came on that day, they had been in prayer. They have been meeting together, but they have been obedient to what the Lord told them to do. God blesses obedience, not sin. If your life is plagued with sin, don't blame God. One of the things that we do when trouble comes, we oftentimes take a quick inventory. Did I do anything wrong? 
Lord, if I've done anything wrong, you know what you did? This all global prayer. Get specific. And tell the Lord. Just go to Him. Lord, you know, Lord. You know. Clean it up. God is not blessing sin. And so we need to understand that that been done away with when Christ died and rose from the dead. And the Lord says, cast all your cares upon me. It's our cares, but it's everything, our sin. Everything, just cast them on him. Here we go down to the altar. Lord, this heavy load, and we bow. Ooh, thank you, Lord. And then we pick it back up and carry it back with us. Leave it there. Lord, I thank you for forgiving me. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, I've got to go back and deal with this again. You just prayed that God would take it. Leave it. <laughs> I'm going to take, before prayer, just a couple of minutes for any questions that you have as we come to a conclusion today. Any questions? Any questions? Yes. Bruce. For the comforter? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I didn't read that per se. Yeah, I was, yeah. But that wasn't part of my text. So what, you, what your question is, the Holy Spirit. Okay. Right. Yes. Okay. All right. Yes. Oh. Well, there was a sound of a locomotive, uh, I mean, a, 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 a mighty wind, okay. Okay, that's one, where it was so loud. And what I've been told is that wind, high wind, sounds like a train. It filled the house where they were. And the Bible said that they began to speak in tongues or other languages as the Spirit enabled them. And all those that had been there from the Passover and had stayed over from the Pentecost and those that had come into town from the Pentecost heard the word of God being spoken in their own language, native language, and they knew that these individuals hadn't learned it. And they were proclaiming the glory of God. That's what brought them together and they knew something has happened. And Peter's message was pointing to the evidence, the miracles, Dave, the resurrection, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Right? And then the sound and the speaking of the word of God, that was confirmation. The Holy Spirit had come. That's how they knew. Yes. Another question. Yeah. That's different. We've only have I'm only having to cut questions off. Good. Was that all that clear? Oh my goodness. Wow. <laughs> as we conclude I want you to bow your heads as we're doing this series we're going to 
don't know how long the Lord had me going through the sections of this book, but we're going to continue next time. But I want you to keep this in mind. I want you to understand something. If you are trying to make it through this life without Jesus Christ, if you are trying to make it through this life without God, if you are trying to devise your own plan, Without God, you need to stop. Someone told me recently that you want to tell God something funny, that's something that makes God laugh, tell him your plans. Tell him your plans. Your plan has to become God's plan. And you can't get God's plan if you're not in the word of God. Mother Carol has been praying and been speaking for a long time about Bible study and Wednesdays and it's growing. This last few weeks we didn't have like people say it looks like Sunday morning on here. But but you know here's something. I don't eat once a week. When I go home today, I'm going to eat. I plan to eat before next Sunday. That's my intention. If you intend on fighting the enemy on which you get here today all week long. You're going to be coming in here limping, thinking you're okay, but the enemy's going to batter you. You've got to prepare yourself. Because clearly, the enemy is out to destroy you. When you look at the word of God and what the Lord did through the life of Peter and preaching, he told them the only way to be saved and to avoid the judgment of God is to give your life to the Almighty. Wednesday is, is like a enthusiasm. It's like an addition. We, we continue on in our worship and, and fellowship. But first, there has to be, for those who don't know the Lord, there has to be salvation. There has to be a joining of the fellowship. And too many people are skating on thin ice. They say, I'm going to come to, the God, to God one day. I'm going to accept the Lord one day. The Bible says, you don't even know what's going to come tomorrow. And here we are dangling on a string telling God what we're going to do. The Bible says, the day you hear my voice, don't harden your heart. Today there are people in this place that have not yet said yes to Jesus. I'm not talking about people that have said yes and then come back and want to repent. I'm talking about people that have never said yes to the Lord. And could you assuredly say when you leave this place today, I'm okay with God. You wouldn't be okay if you wouldn't have stood on 101 in the car coming 100 miles an hour at you. You get out the way. You, place your, you would put yourself in a place of safety. When you come to God, you put yourself in a place of safety. And no matter what comes at you, God says, I got this. I got you covered. It's got to go through me first. If you don't know the Lord, today, is your day in the acceptable day of the Lord. I want to ask you with every eye closed, this is personal. If you never said yes to the Lord, you to put your hand up and put it back down. If you're saying, Lord, I'm willing and want to make you my Savior. There are three hands that went up. I'm going to ask you to put your hands down. And I'm going to do something different today. When this service is over, the three people that raise your hands, you know who you are. I want you to 
the door that's right by the organ, there's an office there. I want you to meet me in there five minutes or so after church. Don't leave. I want you to meet me in the office there. I want to talk with you, lead you to the Lord. I want to do it with you privately. I want you to meet me there. Your hand being raised is a hand that says, Lord, I want to accept you. And we're going to do it there in the office. The Lord saw your hand. He says, I saw it. Thank God for you. I want to talk to you first and let you know this is what it means. This, this is what it means to serve God, to accept Him. Here are some scriptures. Here's what one needs to begin to do. And when one accepts the Lord, the Holy Spirit comes to live in the inside of you. God empower you to be able to follow His law, His will, to obey Him. And you now have passed from death to life. Thank God. Let's give God a hand for his grace and his mercy. Amen. Lord, we love you today. We thank you for your, the privilege of prayer. Salvation, the love of Christ. We thank you for this day. We pray that, God, you will do a work in the lives of the people here in our midst. We pray that you will have your divine way, Lord. Expand these walls. May lives be touched. May people be healed. May the devil, Lord, run and flee. May God be glorified. We love you today. We give you all the glory and honor. In Jesus' name.